Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. It's been a while since we've been together, right? I miss Christmas and all that stuff, but hey, the Lord is good and we're here together now, right? All right, let's all stand together. Does anybody have a birthday in the month of January? We've got a couple. All right, all right. So let's uh, get our singing voices out and sing to them together. somebody give the Lord praise or thanks for something he is or does. Surely, go ahead.
Happy, yeah. Nobody else. Um, I think the church is leaning to this side just a little bit. Maybe we could even it out. Maybe even it out. So we were talking here earlier, which side is the left side and which side is the right side? You know, the sheep are on the right and the goats are on the left. So I guess it depends on what perspective. So from Dan's perspective, there's a right side. From my perspective, there's another side, a, a different right side. So anyway, this is probably the, the right side over here because the fewest people are here. So... <laughs> So if you follow the crowd, you're probably not going the right way. No, <laughs> no I'm just playing with everybody. So, <laughs> so um, we're going to sing some worship songs together like we always do. For, before we do that, we're going to read this psalm, uh, this psalm together. Uh, and it's one of the longest psalms in the Bible. Hopefully you can stand long enough to, to read through this. So it's Psalm 117, and it says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Worship him, every race of people, for his mercy overwhelms us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Very short psalm with a lot of, lot of depth there. <laughs> it's all about praising the Lord. I like the way that this particular translation said, His mercy overwhelms us. So His mercy is always there for us. We just got to reach out to Him. And mercy doesn't always mean I need forgiveness. It means I need help. We cry out to the Lord for mercy when we need His help. And He'll do that. So, and it'll actually overwhelm us with the help that we need. So those are all good things. So we're going to uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Everybody should sing.
tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. Good man. 
Psalmist David, he said, he said that goodness and mercy, that's what we were singing about earlier, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You got to look at that. that. That means goodness and mercy will follow us wherever we go. And every now and then I got to say, come on, goodness. Come on, mercy. Catch up here. And that's what that means, that goodness is going to, if you're a child of God tonight, today, that goodness and mercy mercy will catch you. That's what that actually means. It'll, it'll, it'll let him do that for you. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I don't know what to say unless it's goodness. (laughs) Um, Remember this. That he suffered on the cross for you, he died there for you, and he rose again for you. All for goodness for you. Lord, we thank you so much for everything that you do for us. We pray that you will bless this cup and this bread that represents the body of the Christ Jesus, your son. Amen.
Happy New Year. Um, now is the time in the service for announcements. <laughs> we are always collecting um, empty pill bottles for donations for Matthew 25 Ministries. They use them. Um, they will shred them. They will recycle them. They use them um, to put things in to keep them dry for medical supplies, local and uh, across the nation and world, I should say. Um, we will also take used ink cartridges, so don't throw them away. Bring them in here. They help reduce um, costs for office supplies here for the church. Food pantry closed closets every Thursday, 5 to 7. Um, you can bring donations at that time or if other people are looking to donate things. Um, there's a list there of most frequently needed items if you want to donate the food. Um, if you want to come and serve, don't feel obligated to, like, pray or do any specific thing other than just come and see what we do because... When the Lord is there, he will prompt you to do what he wants you to do. So it's just a really good time, I feel like, for, for our teams that we have already, and uh, we welcome anyone to come and see. Refit Free Dance Fitness class on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, 6.30 to 7.30 here in the sanctuary. Breakfast Fellowship is the first Sunday of the month, 9.30 a.m. So if you missed it this morning, I'm sorry, we had blueberry pancakes and donuts and fruit and various egg casseroles, just letting you know what you guys miss. But <laughs> breakfast is always better when we eat together. So that is the first Sunday of every month at 9.30. Uh, four ways to give. You have in-person in the offering box in the back of the sanctuary. There's an online option. You can now text giving and um, in the Faith Life app. If you have any questions about any of those options, you can talk to me. Now is the 10-minute meet and greet. But before we start, um, any ladies that's going to be doing the, um, the book study for the, all of this year, um, there is a sign-up in the back on the welcome table to be involved in the chat through email. So sign up if you'd like to do that. Thank you.
and hug me? The air hug. <laughs> all right. So we're running late today, but that's all Danny's fault. I'm blaming on him. <laughs> no. Does anybody remember um, New Year's Day ever being on Sunday? I can't remember it in my lifetime. I don't know if it, maybe back when I wasn't serving the Lord or whatever it might happen, but I don't ever remember it being on Sunday. That's something that's a fact you can look up later on. Don't do it right now because you need to pay attention to me, but you can look it up later on. Like, Yeah, all right. <laughs> I would have said that myself, but she probably actually would have came on like, yeah, let me check that out for you. <laughs> so uh, we, we've missed Christmas together here at least. I mean, obviously we had Christmas with other people, but as a, as a church, we weren't able to gather together. So uh, this sermon I'm going to preach today is, is, uh, would have been an extension of that, so you just have to use your imagination. Just figure we've all had Christmas last week, and then we're moving on to the next logical steps. So uh, let's turn together our Bibles to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 40 through 52, Luke 2, 40 through 52, and when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is Lessons from the Lord's Life. You could probably do a 100-year series on something like that, but then we're just going to stick with what we got here today. Uh, So uh, Tom asked me while we were in the break, he said, are you, uh, that psalm was pretty short. Are you going to, is your sermon going to be the same way as that? I'm like, we shall find out. (laughs) So Luke 2, 40 through 52, the scriptures say, the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Every year, his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. When the days had ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Since they thought he was in their group, they went a day's journey. Then they began to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? See, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. He said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be taking care of my father's business? They did not understand what he was telling them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth. He was always obedient to them, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. You may be seated. So in this fascinating passage, Luke takes us on a journey through the early life of Jesus. And as we go on this journey with Luke, we'll learn at least three lessons from the life of the Lord. That we'll learn some truths about how Jesus lived his earthly life and how we, through his grace, can imitate him. That's what we'll talk about today. Let's pray. Father, as always, we thank you for your precious word. We ask you to open our eyes to see the truth open our ears to hear and receive the truth. 
And above all, give us the will and the ability to obey the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first lesson we learn from the Lord's life is Jesus shares our humanity. Now, at this point in Luke's narrative, Jesus has already been born, and Jesus, Joseph, and Mary have moved back to Galilee, back to the city of Nazareth where Jesus was brought up. In Luke 2.40, Luke tells us what happened while they were there. He says, the child grew and became strong. Now, Luke has spent most of his gospel so far focused on the deity of Jesus, the deity of God's Son. He wants us to know that this child who was born from the Virgin Mary is no ordinary child. This child is God's Son, and he is therefore fully God. But this child is also fully human, and both of those things are equally important. So Luke now turns our attention to the humanity of the Lord Jesus. So without ceasing to be God, God's son became a human being. He took on human nature. And when he took on human nature, Jesus took on human limitations and human weaknesses. Now, I think we get the idea that Jesus was born a 30-year-old man. (laughs) But that would have been pretty painful for Mary. And that would have been an even bigger miracle than Mary conceiving as a virgin. No, Jesus did not come out of the womb walking, talking, and working miracles. No, just like all of us, Jesus came into the world as a helpless baby. And like every other baby, Jesus needed his parents to take care of him. Jesus got hungry. Jesus made a mess in his diaper. Jesus got tired. Jesus cried. Jesus had to grow. He had to learn to walk, to talk. He needed somebody to teach him how to feed himself. The one who was all-powerful as God had to grow and become strong as a human being. Why? Because Jesus truly shares in our humanity. In the second part of Luke 2.40, Luke goes on to say that Jesus was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Now, the word filled here is a present tense verb in Greek, and it communicates the idea that Jesus was continually being filled with wisdom. In other words, he was continually learning to be wise. And you can ask, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is learning how to live life practically. How do we practice good things? Jesus had to learn how to do that. And Luke expresses the same truth again in Luke 2.52 when he says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Just like every one of us, Jesus had to grow. He had to grow mentally, physically, and even spiritually. But at the same time, Jesus also had a supernatural wisdom. Jesus grew as a human being, but did not grow as God. And how all of this works out, I won't even pretend to know. How is the one who is wisdom, how did he also grow in wisdom? I don't know. How did the one who is God How can he grow in favor with God? I don't really know. But I don't need to know how all this works out to believe that it's true. See, this is what the Scriptures teach us about Jesus. Jesus truly became human. Jesus truly shares in our humanity. And that means he shares in our weaknesses. The second person of the divine trinity really did become one of us. The Son of God is truly human. But why did the Son of God become human? Well, we have to go to Hebrews, or not just Hebrews, but we're going to talk about that. Paul tells us in Hebrews 2, 14 through 17, 
Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Now notice these words. Jesus shared in our humanity, and he had to be made like us, his brothers and sisters. He had to be made like humanity in every way. Why? So that through his death, he could destroy the power of the devil. The devil who has the power of death, Jesus destroyed his power. And so that Je- another reason is so that Jesus could become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things that pertain to God. In other words, we have a human being who intercedes for us with God. That's what Jesus is. He's a human being who intercedes. He's always living and, and, and faithful to intercede for us. And in Hebrews 4.15 Paul continues with these encouraging words. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Now, sometimes I hear people talk, and we act as if nobody understands us. Nobody understands our troubles. No one has ever faced the same trials or been tested or tempted like we are. But it's just not true. Jesus faced them all. And actually, the scriptures say another place that none of us have ever been tempted beyond what other people are tempted by. It's, it's all the same. It's a universal temptation. All of us have been tempted and are tempted in the same way. And Jesus faced all those temptations. Jesus had all of our weaknesses, all of our trials, our troubles, our temptations. The Lord Jesus faced them all. Because he shares in our humanity, Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be tempted by Satan. Jesus was despised and rejected by others. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus mourned with those who mourned. He wept with those who wept. Jesus truly understands everything we face as humans. He was tempted in every way as we are. He was tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. But unlike every other human who lived before him, there's something Jesus never did. Jesus never sinned. And this shows us an important truth about human nature. Sin is not a part of human nature. See, if Jesus took on our human nature and truly shared in our humanity, yet Jesus did not sin, well, then sin cannot be a part of human nature. See, let's remember human beings were created in the image of God. Human nature is not sinful. It was not created sinful. It has been corrupted through Adam and Eve when they made the choice to sin. So they were taken captive by sin. They were taken captive by Satan in the fear of death. And all of us have followed in their footsteps, except for one, the Son of God, the new Adam. He took on human nature through Mary and became fully human in every way so that he could fully redeem humanity from sin and Satan, from death, through his death and his resurrection so that he could could also restore humanity to the likeness of God. So everybody still walks around with the likeness of God in them to some degree, but it's all marred by the sin that people commit, that we carry with us. Jesus came to change that, to take that out of us. 
So Jesus not only experienced all of our human weaknesses, he also overcame all of our human weaknesses. So that through our union with him, we can now, we can now overcome human weakness through his grace. See, a lot of times we talk about Jesus becoming like us and we leave him down here with us. He didn't do that. He came down here to get us, to elevate us to where he is, to bring human nature to the right hand of God. And that's where we're all seated with him if we're in Christ. And your mom, my mom was talking about getting excited. or That should get everybody excited. Somebody should want to run around the room or do something when you learn that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is not our home. We live with Christ in heaven. That's where we're supposed to be. That's where our mind is supposed to be. Anyway, I'm going to get back to this because I got to hurry because Tom has a, uh, Tom has a uh, ham in the oven, so we got to hurry up. So Jesus became, <laughs> Jesus became like us in every way so that we could become like him. He shared our human nature so that we could share his divine nature. And I keep saying this week after week because this is classic Christianity. The Christianity has been there all along, but which the modern church has largely lost. We've become legalistic. It's all about getting out from under the law. That's not what it's about. It's about becoming like God. It's about becoming reborn and becoming the men and women of God that God created us to be through Christ. Jesus became one of us to restore humanity to God's glorious image. Jesus came to the earth to, to become the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Think about what he's saying here. He's the first. Jesus is the first of a new race of human beings who are becoming like God through our union with God's Son. That's a lot better than just missing out on hell, isn't it? We're becoming like God. We walk around with God inside of us. I mean, that's, that should get people excited. I'm, and I know when we talk about being excited, it doesn't mean everybody's going to run. I get that. But it should get us pumped up enough so we tell somebody about this thing, right? So Jesus became like us so that through his grace, we can become like him. That's the gospel. Go tell that to somebody this week. And as we're becoming like him, this is God's promise to those who are connected to Christ. We can approach God's throne of grace with confidence knowing that we have a high priest who knows our weaknesses who, and who forever le- lives to make intercession for us. We can approach God's throne of grace with confidence because there's a divine human being seated at, seated at God's right hand. We can cry out to him to strengthen us, to overcome the world just like he did. And he will give us, this is his promise, he will give us his grace to help us in our time of need. You know those voices that we hear Voices that say, you're all alone. You know, nobody understands your problems. Nobody cares about your problems. Those are demonic voices. I think Christians, we need to get back to all that, that kind of talk. We don't talk like that anymore. It's too, we're like uh, psychiatrists anymore. These are de- demonic voices. Demons are real. They're all over the place. They influence people's thoughts, their minds, all these things. We need to understand that those voices that tell us things that are contradictory to God's word are demonic, and we should reject them. Let's don't believe the lies of demons. Let's believe the truth of God's word. When we're children of God, we're never alone. We're always with someone, and someone is always with us who understands our problems. And Jesus cares about our problems. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to face any difficulty you or I could ever face. And most importantly, Jesus promises to be with us and to strengthen us to overcome those difficulties. See, heaven is for the overcomer. The new earth is promised to the overcomer. You read the book of uh, Revelation, you'll see that. We can overcome the things of the world through the grace of God. That's what we're all supposed to be working towards. You know, as long as we're on this earth in its present form, 
We're all going to face temptation, tribulation, troubles, persecution as children of God. And we cannot fight those battles with human strength. We need someone stronger than us to help us. Someone who has fought those same battles, who has fought our same enemies and defeated all of our enemies. Someone who has overcome all those things through God's grace. And the Lord Jesus will help us overcome the world through God's grace, just like he did, if we'll cry out to him, if we'll trust in him, and say, Lord, I'm going to walk this thing out by your grace. We are God's children. We can overcome the world just like Jesus did. So if you're struggling with any temptation, just remember that. Cry out to the Lord. Lord, I know that you don't want me to do this thing that I'm being tempted by. Give me the grace to overcome that. And he promises he'll answer our prayers. But you got to do, do your part. I'll give you an example, and this is coming to me right now. If you have a problem with alcohol, don't buy alcohol anymore. You cannot drink alcohol that you do not purchase or is not in your, in your possession, correct? God will give you grace to do it, but you got to do it. You can't go to the bar if you're an alcoholic. You can't do it. you got to break free from it. Use God's grace and do what he's called you. And you can, across the board, any sin that you struggle with, it's the same way. Get away from those things. See, we can approach Jesus with complete confidence with our weaknesses, our temptations, and our troubles. We can ask him for his help, and we can expect him to give us the grace that we need to become like him in all things. All of this is possible because Jesus shares in our humanity. And since Jesus shares our humanity, he is the ultimate example of how humans should live our lives. And that brings us to the second lesson we learn from the life of the Lord. Jesus loves the Lord supremely. So Luke teaches us this truth as he continues to walk us through the earthly life of Jesus. He says in uh, Luke 2, 41 through 42, every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. Now, the festival that he's talking about here is the Passover festival. That was an annual celebration to remember, for God's people to remember how God delivered his people from bondage in Egypt. So in obedience to the Lord's command, every male Jew was obligated to take this annual trip to appear before the Lord at the temple in Jerusalem. And often they would take their wives and their children with them on these trips. Now Luke mentions that Joseph and Mary went to the Passover festival every year, and he says that it was according to the custom. He does this to emphasize their strict obedience to the law of the Lord. And Luke wants us to know that Joseph and Mary loved the Lord supremely, and they proved that love by obeying God's commands or the Lord's commands, and they taught Jesus to do the same. So when Jesus was 12 years old, Joseph and Mary, they went up to Jerusalem for the Passover as they usually did. Jesus was brought up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. He was taught to love the Lord and demonstrate that love through simple obedience. And we all need to learn to do the same. We could simplify this entire thing just by being obedient to God. People say, what do I need to do to please God? Just obey his commands. It's a simple thing. Somebody asked Jesus one time, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commands. Keep the commands, right? Keep the commands. When do we lose sight of that as Christians? Keep the commands. It's a simple thing. Do what the Lord tells you and you're going to be okay. Does that mean that we're saved by keeping the commands? Yeah, it does. (laughs) We are. That's what the scriptures teach, right? But how do we do that? We do it through God's grace. God gives us grace to obey his commands. And we all need to, so Jesus did, he, he learned how to love the Lord, obey the Lord, and we all need to learn to do the same thing. 
Now, Luke tells us after the Passover, Joseph and Mary, their family and their friends, they're heading home, and they travel for a whole day. That's probably about 15 or so miles on foot. And everyone is still in good spirits after the celebration of the Passover. Oh, the Lord redeemed us, all this good stuff. They're they're high-fiving and all this stuff. (laughs) But suddenly the celebration turns sour. So Mary looks at Joseph and asks, Joseph, you seen Jesus? Joseph is like, no, I thought he was with you. Well, Mary says, I thought he was with you. Now, this is, this is the Derek Trent version of all this, so <laughs> DTV, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, my. So they check with each other. For, they, don't, they don't find it, right? Then they check with their friends. They check with their family. Nobody's seen Jesus. But somehow Joseph and Mary have lost sight of the Lord Jesus. And Luke tells us after Joseph and Mary, they checked with their family and their friends. They did not find Jesus. They took the day-long trip back to Jerusalem to look for him. So it's now been two days since they've seen Jesus. And they spend another day in Jerusalem anxiously searching for Jesus. And that's a long time to worry about what might have happened to Jesus. There were probably still a lot of people in Jerusalem at this time after the Passover. And I'm sure that as Joseph and Mary anxiously search for Jesus... Some of these thoughts, they start to flood their minds. What if someone kidnapped him? You know, what if he's hurt? What if he, we never see him again? So Joseph and Mary were panicky as they anxiously search for the Son of God. And when they finally find Jesus, he's in a place where they were not expecting to find him. They go into the temple in Jerusalem, and there they see Jesus, and he's sitting among the religious teachers. And he was not just listening to the religious teachers. He was asking them questions, and he was also answering their questions. And in Luke 2.47, Luke tells us, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So at 12 years old, Jesus sat among the religious experts, men whose entire lives were dedicated to studying and interpreting God's word. Jesus sat among them, and he amazed them with his understanding. See, they saw something special about how Jesus understood the Scriptures. And those teachers did not know it, but they were talking to the author of the Scriptures. And I wonder if some of those same teachers remember this early encounter with Jesus when Jesus says to them what we read in John 5, 39 through 40. Jesus says, you search the Scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, They testify about me, and yet you do not come to me in order to have life. See, Jesus says the Scriptures testify about him, and he's saying that he's the prophet whom Moses said would come and lead God's people, the one who they were supposed to obey. And even at the tender age of 12, Jesus' understanding of the Scriptures brought amazement to everyone who heard him. So again, we go back to this thing that I just talked about. He had human limitations but he's also divine, so that kind of co-mingle together, and somehow all this stuff works out. Again, I don't know how, but it, it does. And it seems that Mary and Joseph were the most amazed. And in this story, this is kind of weird to me, because Mary and Joseph have both been told that Jesus is God's son. They all know. They both know it, right? This is kind of weird. It says that they did not expect to find Jesus in the temple. That's basically what we're getting at, much less in the temple among the teachers. So everyone was astonished. And then, as mothers tend to do, Mary remembers the two days or the two, the, the two days that she and Joseph had endured anxiously searching for Jesus. 
So her astonishment, it seems like it turns to anger. I can't be sure that she was angry, but she probably was. She asked Jesus, and she said, son, why have you treated us this way? I mean, these sound like words of anger to me. See, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And the Greek word behind the word anxiously, it means to be in extreme pain or to be in great anguish. See, Luke's telling us that those days where they lost sight of Jesus had caused Mary and Joseph extreme pain, great grief. And there's an important spiritual truth we can learn from this historical event. What happens when we lose sight of Jesus? Well, we become anxious. It causes us extreme pain, great grief. We lose our peace. We lose our joy. We lose our hope. It's only as we keep our eyes on Jesus and stay focused on his kingdom and stay where Jesus is, it's only then that we can have true peace, true joy, and true hope. See, our lives are just not right when we lose sight of Jesus. So through this story, Luke reminds us we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We must never lose sight of the Son of God. So back to this whole thing, Joseph and Mary, they find Jesus in the temple, and they were astonished to find him there. But Jesus seems astonished also. He seems astonished that they would look for him anywhere else in Jerusalem. Where else is he going to be? And notice that Jesus answers Mary's question with his own question. This is a tactic that Jesus used often when people ask him a question. He'd throw one right back at him. Why does he do that? To get him to think about what they're saying so they can say, okay, maybe that's not the right question to ask. So anyway, in Luke 2.49, Jesus asked Mary and Joseph, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be taking care of my father's business? So why did Jesus stay in Jerusalem? Well, he had to take care of his father's business. He had business to handle. I got business to handle for my father. And other translations say he had to be in his father's house. And either one of those is possible, and either one of those gets us to Jesus' meaning. Jesus is asking his earthly parents, why would you search for me anywhere else? And this should have been the first place you looked. You know that I'm the son of God. The angels told you that I'm God's son. You know that. So didn't you know I would be taking care of my father's business? And where is my father's business? But in the temple. It's in my father's house. I came to take care of that business. Now, there's a contrast here between Mary's word and Jesus' words. Mary calls Joseph Jesus' father, and Joseph was Jesus' earthly father by adoption. But Jesus is not talking about Joseph. He's talking about God the Father, his heavenly father. And Jesus was not disrespecting Joseph. Some people kind of read it that way. But Jesus was letting Joseph and Mary know that Jesus knew that God was his father. See, if we were talking about Joseph, then the family business would be what? Carpentry, right? He's he's a carpenter. That's all he really is. Now, Jesus is about God the Father's business. Now, Jesus is also teaching us an important truth. His relationship with his heavenly father took precedence over even his closest earthly relationships. He teaches that again and again throughout his ministry, too. Jesus loved God supremely. His business was to be about his father's business, wherever that might take him. And his heavenly father's business was in his father's house in the temple. And there's some sense in which this applies to all of us. As God's children, we're all called to love God supremely, just like Jesus did. The first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
And I hear people all the time, they say, how the hell is it possible for us to do that? I've already told you. We love God by learning and obeying God's commandments. John says it this way in 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God, that we keep his commandments. Is that, that is a definition of how we love God. This is love for God, that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So if you want to know whether you're loving God or not, if I want to know whether I'm loving God or not, there's a easy, really easy test. Am I obeying his commands? Do we love God supremely by keeping or obeying his commands just like Jesus did? See, our relationship with the Lord must take priority over every earthly relationship. Jesus loved God supremely by obeying the Lord's commands, and we should all do the same. Now, Luke goes on to show us one of the commands that Jesus kept, and that brings us to the last lesson we learn from the Lord's life. Jesus submits to authority. Now, at the beginning of Luke 2.51, Luke says, he, talking about Jesus, went down with them and kept, and, sorry, and came to Nazareth. He was always obedient to them. Jesus was always obedient to his parents. Hear that? <laughs> Jesus was always obedient to his parents. He was always obedient to authority. If that authority did not conflict with his relationship with God, Jesus submitted himself to human authorities. And God commands us to do the same thing. Now, let's remember that Jesus is God in the flesh, right? So Jesus is obviously a higher rank. He's a higher ranking person than either Joseph or Mary. Would we all agree with that? Yet Jesus submitted himself to his parents, and he was obedient to them. He said he was always obedient to them. The creator submitted to his creatures. He put himself under the authority of people that he created. And why did he do this? Because this is what God expects from all of us. God commands children to obey their parents because it's the right thing to do. You know, they're an authority of it. So when the Son of God became flesh and had human parents, he was obedient to God's command. Jesus submits to authority. And by the way, this is going to carry on into eternity. Jesus has always submitted to the authority of the Father. Once all this thing is done, he hands the kingdom over to the Father, and everything becomes subject to the Father, including Jesus himself. This is something Jesus has always done, something he will always do. And this is a lesson we need to learn especially well in the current culture we live in. In every human relationship, whether it's in the church, in the community, at our workplace, at school, in our homes, wherever it is, every single one of us have someone in authority over us. It has always been that way, and it will always be that way. Because without authority, there is chaos, right? If everybody's authority is in authority, then there's just total chaos. The Scriptures teach us over and over that we're to submit ourselves to those in authority. And you can say, well, people abuse authority and all this or that. Just because people do wrong things with something doesn't mean we throw the whole thing out, right? The, uh, the answer for that is not to throw out authority. The answer is to put the right people in authority so that they do the right thing. See, Jesus not only taught that we should submit to authority, he lived it. His human parents were the authority God placed over him. So he submitted to them, he was obedient to those who were in authority over him, and he tells us to do the same thing. Matter of fact, he told the disciples at one point, he said, the uh, scribes and Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So whatever they tell you to do, you do it. But then he said this, don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. 
There's always people in authority of us. And Jesus calls us to submit to those in authority. You know, I often hear people talk about how lawless our culture is. And you can see it. It's becoming more and more lawless every day. Why is that? Well, one of the main reasons is people do not want to submit to any authority. And that stems from a sinful desire to be completely independent. And we're told to be our own boss, make our own rules, do whatever we want, do things our own way. Nobody can tell you how to live your life. And sadly, that awful attitude has rubbed off on us in the church as we rub shoulders with our culture. The church has embraced this unbiblical idea that we're all our own authority. Authority in the church is looked down on like that's, that's all old stuff. That was only for their culture, whatever it is. So we need to learn well this lesson from the life of the Lord. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus submitted to those who were in authority over him. And if we're going to follow him, then we need to submit to those in authority in our lives also. Now, as we close, we can learn a lot of lessons from the life of the Lord. Jesus is always the ultimate example of what a righteous life looks like. You want to know what a normal human being should look like? Well, look at Jesus. Obviously, he's not a normal human being, but this is the human being that God wants us all to be. Look at Jesus. Three lessons we've learned today are Jesus shares our humanity, that he became like us so we could become like him. Jesus loves God supremely, and he shows that love by obeying God's commandments, and he calls us to do the same. We love God supremely by obeying God's commands. That's what Jesus said our job is. Let's go make disciples and do what? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And finally, Jesus submits to authority, and he expects us to do the same. Whether that's in the community, in the church, in our workplaces, or in our homes, God expects us to submit to those who are in authority over us. Obey our parents, obey those in leadership, follow the laws of the land. I think you get the idea. We're to submit to those who are over us. So let's remember these lessons from the life of the Lord, and let's keep asking, this is the biggest thing, keep asking the Lord for the grace that he promises to give us to live as he lived. Let's all stand for prayer. Father, you are so good to us. We thank you for sending your son to become like us so that we can become like him. Lord, we ask you to help us to learn from his life, to live as he lived, to love as he loved, and to become like the Lord Jesus in all that we say and do. If in any of our our lives we're falling short of Jesus as our model, Lord, we pray for your mercy and your grace to help us to overcome those things. You said if we we pray to you, we approach your throne of grace with boldness, we would find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So they're going to sing a, a final song. And as they sing that, you're welcome to come forward if you want prayer. People will be up here to pray for you. Whatever you want to pray about, if it's just you want to pray by yourself, you're welcome to do that. Um, There's a a verse I keep reminding us of as we get to the end of these these services uh, where James talks about us, um, if we're sick in our bodies, we call for the elders of the church. And we anoint people with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make sick people well. Well, there's a condition to all that. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So as you come forward or to ask for prayer, to ask for healing, maybe it's time to confess something in your life that you need to get out.
That's some of the healing that we need, we need too, the spiritual healing that he promises to give us through his grace. Uh, if you want to know more about how to follow the Lord, uh, I'm always available for that. You can talk to me afterwards. Uh, but above all, as we, as we go out of here today, let's go walk in, the, in, the, in the, Lord's, the Lord's will, walk in his grace, and know that he'll be there to give us everything we need to live for him. I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you. I almost forgot it. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.